In a world filled with distractions and comforts, there are those who choose to answer a higher calling. They embark on journeys that test their faith, push their limits, and challenge their comfort zones. From remote villages to bustling cities, they bring the light of hope to the darkest corners of the earth. But every journey comes at a cost. They leave behind the familiar, the comfortable, and the safe. Because they know that following the call means counting the cost. Join us on a journey where faith is tested, lives are changed, and the cost is counted. Good morning. Glad that you're here. Uh, that video uh, is an introduction into what we're doing for the next couple of weeks. It's a missions emphasis uh, time for Jubilee, and uh, it's something that we want to spend a little extra time talking about right now. We have a great vision for 2024. We want to introduce those things to you now. It is um, Pastor Sabi and Rebecca have really put a lot of prayer, thought, time into what this should look like. We support 18 missionaries uh, and organizations uh, over the... Yeah, wonderful. Thank you. 14 of the 18 will be here next weekend uh, to hang out. We've invited them to come. Uh, they won't be teaching, um, but they will be in the foyer set up with their ministry and the different things that are going on. I mean, so often... We're talking about a project that's going on. We're raising money for a project. We're talking about a victory uh, that has happened in another part of the world or, or something that we're doing in Denver. And yet rarely do we have a chance to bring them all together for you to talk to them and to meet them. I think it's so important that you know uh, what we're sowing into, that you have a chance to, uh, you know, when you're praying for someone, how much easier it is it when you know them, when you talk about them, than to just speak a name uh, to the Lord. And of course, he hears all of those things. But I think for our sake, it just makes it that much better. I think it connects them to us uh, in a different way. And honestly, in all the years, we've never brought them all together. And we're excited to do that and what the Lord's going to, uh, to do with that. I'm going to spend just a couple of extra minutes here talking about, um, talking about missions and talking about next year. I want to show you the trips that are lined up for 2024. If you guys would pull that up real quick, uh, the folks at home be able to see this too. So uh, the trips for 2024, there are four international and then a few local trips that, uh, and outreaches that we want to do. So India, April 2nd through the 16th, 2024. Why am I showing you this? These are not just, hey, these are happening, be praying for these things. The opportunity for you to be a part of them uh, is being presented to you today. And I know often we tend to think that's for pastors, that's for the young, that's for uh, someone else and not for me. Do you know that Jesus doesn't take uh, the Great Commission and qualify it if you're under 30 but over 18? Then you're supposed to go and do this right here. And by the way, we take the Great Commission as though it were the great suggestion. And it's not a suggestion. It is the Lord giving us instruction. Go into all the world and preach the good news. Tell people. And so your church makes it easy for you to do that by setting up opportunities. So India, April 2nd through the 16th, the info meeting will be the end of this month on the 29th. You can see the cost right there. Uh, costs are inclusive. Peru, uh, August the 15th through the 23rd. The info meeting will be February 25th. Mexico, August 1st through the 7th. The info meeting will be uh, March 17th. 
And then Egypt, we want to go back into Egypt. The Lord opened a door for us this year, and it'll be our third trip into Egypt. So October 25th through November 4th, a year from now uh, on that one, the info meeting will be April 21st uh, and the cost there. And then locally uh, for 2024, we'll be hosting several local trips for men, women, uh, youth throughout the year, things that have to do with ministering uh, to folks who are struggling with homelessness, uh, addiction, uh, kids, all sorts of opportunities for the church to be the church, not just here in the four walls, but in our city and around the world. And so when Jesus instructed the disciples, uh, go into Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, you know what he was saying is, it's not just to cover Israel and then from Israel out, he was saying, go in your neighborhoods, take it to your state, and then be willing to take it outside into every place that needs to hear good news. Would you agree with me? Today is a great day to be telling people good news about what's going on uh, in the world. So want to uh, ask you to pray about those things. Afterwards, in the foyer, I'm going to end what I'm doing uh, intentionally with time. And the emphasis being that when we're done, go out to the foyer because we'll have tables set up out there showing the different trips. We'll have materials that are available for you to pick up. They're free. Uh, and then this, in order to encourage uh, mission trips for next year and to sow into it, we want to give away a couple of scholarships that would go to the mission trips, okay? So one of them is a $1,000 scholarship. One of them is a $500 scholarship. Uh, and we're just going to draw a name out. So you have to register for it, right, if you want to be a part of it. Now, if you win it and you're not going on a mission trip, you cannot collect the cash and go Christmas shopping with it. That's not what it is for. It is for a mission trip. So if you register and you win, but you don't want to go or you can't go, you can give it to someone else who is or does want to go on a trip. Does that make sense? So the way that you would do that is to register uh, after the service and Pastor Sabi and Rebecca and some from their team will be out there to receive those. Okay, one other thing about that this morning. We'll have the bulk of the missionaries here next week, 14 of the 18, but we've got Larry Good and his son Pocho from Lost Children of Peru here with us this morning. So Larry, raise your hand. Pocho, raise your hands. People can see you down there. Yeah, it's a good thing you raised it because I was about to come down there and have fun with you in just a, just a second. Larry, uh, if you go to church here for any length of time, you know um, I have talked about Larry and their ministry multiple times. What they're doing in Peru uh, is just unbelievably fantastic. Our, what we get involved with is, with missions is done through relationship primarily. We get a lot of opportunities with somebody telling us about this. And to be honest with you, so many of them are worthy. But how do you know which ones to be involved with, which ones not to be involved with, which ones do you sow into, which ones are for a later time? For us, the formula is relationship first. When we work through relationship, it's the ability to ask questions deeply. What's going on with what we're investing with you? And not only that, then the reason we have, a reason that we have mission pastors is that our mission pastors pastor our missionaries. They don't just stay here, make a phone call or send a text. They actually go into the field. How are you doing? What can we do for you? Your church is behind you. Uh, and then they're also examining how, how is the resources we're sending being spent? Uh, is there more that you need? Is there more that's going on? So this morning, towards the end of the message, I'll share with you some of the projects for 2024 that we're excited about, that we want you to be praying about sowing into. We want to raise a specific amount of money uh, in a short amount of time. Isn't that a jubilee thing uh, right there? And so I'll talk about that as we get uh, a little bit more towards the end. 
But uh, Larry and his son Pocho, Pocho runs the day-to-day uh, of the ministry there in the Comus area, the feeding uh, center and a lot of what's going on. And Larry is, at this point, it seems like he's transitioning uh, more to speaking and to raising a lot of money. Uh, they have big plans and God's doing a lot. More trips lined up this year than ever before uh, inside of Peru. And we're excited about that and what the Lord's doing with him. And uh, I'll mention a little bit more uh, about that as we go. So our series is called Counting the Cost. Let me just talk about that for a second. I think when those words are uttered, uh, it first enters into your mind. Counting the cost means what exactly? Well, Jesus taught uh, an illustration. And he said that a person doesn't decide to build a tower, a house, a project, unless they sit down first and make sure they have all the money to build it and to finish it. So many things get started, good intentions, but people don't have the resources or the time or the energy to finish it. And Jesus said, ultimately what it does, it embarrasses those who try to start it without counting the cost on the front end of it. And so definitely that is a missions message and is worthy of maybe taking a few minutes and talking about that, but that's not where my heart is. Some people I've heard teach it with the idea of counting the cost. Are you willing to lay down your life? Are you willing to go places that it's difficult to go into? We, we have a missionary evangelist, Dan Bauman, that many of you know, and we've supported Dan through the years. Dan wrote a book about being imprisoned in Iran. How many of you know what I'm, what I'm talking about? It's, a, it's very famous. Um, and, and Dan had gone through, it was a really difficult thing, emotionally, physically, spiritually, in that. Well, many, many years have gone by, and Dan right now is actually applying for a visa to go back to Iran. I know, and we look at that and we think, boy, are you, are you pressing your luck? What are you trying to do in that? Do you know that the greatest movement of the church today, underground, in the world, is happening in Iran? And our news will never report what's going on with the church in Iran. They point what's going on with the government in Iran. Government, obviously, is something to be considered uh, if you're going to make a trip there, but the people in Iran are people that Jesus loves very much. And he loves us. And he died for all of us. Four people today are excited about (laughs) what God is doing in that part of the world. The most exciting thing that you should be aware of today is not what the government in Iran is saying, but what the people in Iran are doing with Jesus today. The hope for Iran is not the decisions the government is making right now. The hope for Iran is what's happening in the church inside of Israel. That's where hearts get changed. And that's where hope is at. So I'm just saying that a lot of people, when they consider counting the cost, to them it's the idea, are you willing to count the ultimate cost and lay down your life? I do think that's a worthy message too, but again, not where I want to go today. I want to be a little more practical and a little more direct with it and a little more, how does it apply to us sitting here today? So uh, I'm going to read this this story from the scripture. It's Mark chapter 6, and it's the story of the feeding of the 5,000. It's a powerful miracle. But I think that there's a counting of the cost in this that that maybe we could reckon with today. So Mark 6, uh, it's 13 verses to tell the whole story. So let me read it to you. You can follow along. Uh, The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. All right, context is that if you know a little bit about um, the scriptures, when Jesus uh, had walked with the disciples for a length of time, one of the things that his, 
His purpose with the disciples was not just for them to watch him. He was training them so that after he was gone, they could go do what he did. And he wasn't waiting until he was gone in order to find out how they would do. Uh, There was a point in their ministry when they're young believers and they're young in in even doing ministry. Jesus gathers them together and says, okay, I'm going to send you out two by two. And I don't want you to take any money with you. I don't want you to take a change of clothes with you. I don't want you to take any provision to help you be able to do this. I want you just to go. And then he says this, freely you have received, so freely give to people. Don't charge for this. Don't figure out a way to make money from this. Just go and do this. And so out they go two by two, and they have the most remarkable experience. Jesus said, not only do I give you the authority, but I also convey to you, I want you to heal the sick. I want you to raise the dead, cast out the demonic, and preach the kingdom of God that it's now come upon you. So the disciples, they go out and they do this, and it is remarkably successful. Man, the enemy is pushed back, and his works are knocked down. The dead are raised back to life. The the sick are healed, and the disciples are excited. This stuff really works. So they come back to Jesus with this awesome report. And then Jesus tells them, listen, your reason for being excited should not be that the devil is afraid of you. It should be that your names are written down in the book of life, man. When you go to heaven, your name will be there. That's the exciting thing. So they're, they're at this point. They have these great reports. They're given to Jesus. And then here's Jesus's way of ministering to them. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest for a little while. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is to rest. Exactly, Americans. Uh, So he said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. Can you imagine being strictly so busy with ministry or whatever you're doing, but in particular, this is ministry, you can't even stop to put food in your mouth. It's just literally breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Go, go, go. The needs are so great that there's no way to take a break. And so Jesus said, look, we're going to have to, I'm going to have to force one on you. We're going to go away by ourselves and do this. So look at how this story unwinds. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. Now they're in the Galilee. And those of you who have been with me know that uh, they call it the Sea of Galilee, but it's not a sea, is it? It's a lake, and it's not even a big lake. It's a lake that's approximately 8 by 13 uh, miles. It's not a very huge lake. I mean, looking across it, you can't necessarily see across it when you're on the shore, but it's not an ocean. It's a, it's a lake is what it is. And my point is that even if you got into a boat and thought you were escaping, it's so small that people could figure out, and that's what happened. So they left by boat for a quiet place, where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of, can you imagine going on a vacation to try to escape for just a few minutes? And when you get there, there are actually more people than when you left. More needs, more more of everything. (laughs) And so look how they respond. Uh, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he was extremely aggravated. Some are like, I get it. I totally, I see the human side. No, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had what? 
compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, Jesus, this is a very remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. They're very hungry. And Jesus said to them, as he often does, he just flips the table real quickly, you feed them. And here's the response. Generally, I think it's not just the disciples' response. I think it's like, it's people's response. Like, with what? We don't have anything. We tend to think about what we don't have, not what we do have. We tend to think about if or when or should I, then I, but we never think about what I have right now. And I think through the Bible, you can find that response so many different times. The Old Testament, Elijah, in the middle of a three-year drought, goes to a place called Zarephath to a widow. Three years, there's not been a drop of rain, and Israel is already an extremely dry, dry place. At, towards the end of the three-year drought, Elijah comes into this town, finds a widow, and the first thing he asks her, could you get me a drink of water? And she goes to do it, and while she's going, he says, and bring me something to eat. And her response to him is, sir, we don't have anything to eat except for a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour. If you know the story, Elijah tells her, go get all the vessels you can. With that little bit of oil that she has left, she begins to pour and fills all of these vessels up to the top. God is never concerned with what you don't have. He's willing to use what you do have. And our problem is we think in the natural and not in the supernatural. Jesus can make wine from grapes that never existed. Think about the statement. He is always, because he is supernatural, always trying to get us to think supernatural. And those of us who have experienced the miraculous of God, we literally are without excuse to believe that a miracle could happen again. And yet we are so quick to forget, just like the disciples. Jesus would always say, how could you forget so soon? And we do the same thing. The Lord will ask us, I want you to do this. And our first response is, God, I don't. If you knew how many times somebody would tell me, once I win the lottery. <laughs> I'm joking with you, but well, many people that I love and who love me, if you knew how many times I've heard that statement, I just want you to know, we win the lottery, everything's taken care of. Yay. Exactly. <laughs> I get it. But it's always based on what we, what now? And our problem is we look at what we have now and we say it's not enough, but we forget that we serve a God who loves multiplication. And I'll show you here in just a second. Uh, how about Peter and John? After the resurrection and the ascension, they're going into the temple and there's a guy by the temple begging alms because he's crippled. And Peter walks up to him and makes this statement, silver and gold... I don't have, but what I do have, I'm willing to give to you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. How much more valuable is healing over that kind of money? See, money can't buy that, can it? And there would have been a time in Peter's life, like right here, where he would have said, we don't have enough. But after experience with Jesus, you begin to realize whatever I have, God is able to multiply. Do you get that? All right, so just, I mean, Look at this and let your imagination run with it just a little bit. 
We don't have anything. And so they continue with the conversation. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. True statement. But it doesn't apply. Jesus is not looking for an argument or a reason to not. He's looking for someone who will say, okay, I don't get it, but okay. <laughs> so here's his question. How much bread do you have? Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves and two fish. Now, do you agree with me? We know there's a minimum of 5,000 people here. Doesn't count women and children, only men. So maybe there's 10 or 15. I, this was Israel at that time. They had big families. So maybe this is 25 or 30. Don't know for sure. But this is a lot of people. But will you agree with me? In the natural, five loaves and two fish probably is maybe a meal for two or three people. And it's a little boy that has it, by the way. So how much bread do you have? Find out. They came back and reported we have five loaves, two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. That, the only reason that's in there is the Lord does use organization. Not chaos. Organization to put things together. Okay. So Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. Now, I want you to pay attention to something. I'm going to show you other scriptures. There's a pattern here from scripture that every time Jesus has bread in his hand, he does three things with it. Okay, remember that, three things. I'm gonna show you what they are. Pick them out if you can see them right here. So Jesus took the five loaves, two fish, looking up towards heaven, one, he blessed, he blessed to them. Uh, then two, he breaking the loaves into pieces. And then three, he kept. So blessed, broken, given. Blessed, broken, given, blessed, broken, given. Remember that. Maybe write that down. I'm gonna show you this pattern. Because while I think it's literal, it's also prophetic about our lives and how God uses us and a place that you're probably in. One of the three you're in today. And I'll show you in just a minute. And by the way, I think that it is secular. I think that it doesn't just stay always blessed or stay always broken or stay always given in multiplication. I think you're in one of those three places and it tends to just go like this in life. So sometimes we're blessed. Sometimes we feel like we're being broken. And sometimes we're in the process of multiplication. We're being given out. And if you've ever prayed the prayer, God, I want to help. God, how do I make a difference? God, can you use me? Then immediately what goes into effect is there has to be a brokenness for there to be a multiplication. So you find yourself in a period or a time or a season of what feels like discipline or rejection. Or that God is doing something to you that is unkind or unmerciful. And it's actually the answer to a prayer. Look at me. If you've ever prayed, God, I want to do more. God, I want to be a part of the kingdom of God. God, I want to answer the call. I want to say yes. Then you're not enough by yourself. You don't have enough resource by yourself. You don't have enough time by yourself. You don't have enough talent by yourself. But if you'll put it in Jesus' hand, he can multiply it. But the process of multiplication is a brokenness. And then from that comes a blessing. And you know what? Let's be honest. We all want to stay in the blessing 24-7. <laughs> yeah. Yes? Yeah. So that's, I mean, it's the problem with being blessed all the time, and in this country in many ways, even without God moving in a person's life, there's a lot of blessing to be had every day. 
I am looking for the place to insert what's going on in Israel today. So I want to divert from what I need to talk about. So you recognize none of us drove to church this morning worried about. Where will I? When I come to the end, I'll talk a little bit more about it. Sort of what's going on there and how we need to look at it and how we need to be praying. But we find ourselves always wanting to be blessed. What I have found to be true <laughs> is that when, you, when you're in that place, just bless, 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 you, you tend to take an attitude that um, this is how it always should be. So we like blessing so much that we just want it. We want it all the time. And the problem with it is, it, if that's all you get, you become unbalanced in how life actually works. You lose compassion for other people. Thank you for that. Huge. How many times have I said this to you? If you want people to admire you, tell them how blessed you are. But if you want to impact them or you want them to relate to you, tell them that you also struggle. Because people admire success but they relate to going through difficult moments. You do it in your marriage. You do it with your children. You'll do it in your job at times. Yes or no? You'll do it in your health. I said this to someone recently. We just passed the 25th anniversary. If you're going to do anything, Pat, for any length of time, you're going to have ups and downs with it. Pastoring for 25 years has bought great highs and low lows. Being married for 25 years has brought great highs. No, in my life, it's always great highs. But for Chris, there's been some low lows. <laughs> so as a nation, there have been great highs and low lows. It's the way that it is in life. We want to stay in those great places of blessing, but that's not, that's not always the best thing for you or for the world. And while blessing has its place, life is not always just bless me, bless me, bless me. Sometimes it's God, use me, use me, use me. Hmm. Bless broken and given. So breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. Look at this last sentence here. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. Why tell us that? It's more than enough for sure. But we knew everybody had all that they wanted. The detail is important for this reason. God never wastes anything. So blessing is not, it's not a frivolous thing to just like, hey, whatever, I can do whatever I want. Blessing is responsibility. If you have it, you need to do right with it or you're squandering it. Does that make any sense? So blessing is important. You need to be a responsible person with it. One of the ways the Lord knows we can handle blessing is responsibility. Blessing to two people, for one, it can be a blessing, and for one, it can be a curse. Blessing when you can handle it is a wonderful thing. Blessing when it makes you trip is not a great thing. So the difference is what happens to a person's character. Part of the reason we go through what we go through is to develop the character so that we can be blessed. 
All right. Um, so using this story, let me just, let me give you these two things. Oh, let me, why the 12 baskets? So one, it's nothing is wasted. But two, uh, the Bible doesn't tell us this. This is my opinion. Um, if I let you know it's my opinion and that the Bible doesn't say this, is it okay for me to express my opinion? Somebody tell me recently, pastors aren't allowed to express their opinion. What do you think? We go into a trance and just, you know, read the words and say amen. I know some of you are like, yeah, just read the scripture and say amen. Let us let's go. That's our job is to comment on it and to speak to it and to teach in it. So I'm my opinion, the Bible doesn't say this. My opinion is, why does it tell us the 12 baskets were left over and they picked them up? The one who gave it was a little kid passing through who was willing to give what he had to Jesus. Not what he didn't have, but what he had. And the Bible doesn't say this, but I think the reason it includes the idea of what they picked up after, I think the kid's blessing was that what he went home with was 12 times more than what he started with. And can you imagine him going home and presenting to his mom and dad? It's been a good day. Where'd you get that? You will not believe it. But I tried to tell you, you wouldn't believe it. So look, here, here's the first one just real quickly. What do you have? Not what don't you have. What would you do? What will you do? What do you have now? So our problem is we look what we have now and we say to ourselves, it's just simply not enough. I don't have enough. So there's a great book by Randy Alcorn called Heaven. And he exposes, it's a thick book and I would encourage you to read it. Uh, let's see, uh, Chase, where are, are you in here? Chase, the rapture's happened to Chase this morning. Travis, what shirt do you have? Yes, you've got, can you... Will you come up here real quick? So Kitty uh, did me a great honor a couple of weeks ago in church. I made this, uh, this, this comment. I, I said, this life is good, but heaven is better. Okay, that's, that, I just made it. And then I just said this. I said, there's a million dollar idea for somebody right there. I said, if you make a t-shirt out of it, just give me credit. That's all I, I'm asking for. And so Kitty and Travis have these t-shirts uh, made up and she brings them in and she presents it uh, to us and Chris and I are washing ours and so we weren't ready to wear them but we will, we will wear them. Thank you, Travis, for doing that for me and do it. All right, so listen, uh, I, my personal opinion is when I make statements like that, so many people really don't know why heaven's better. We just know that after we die, that's where we wanna go. But why is heaven better? What do we have to look forward to? I mean, the teaching on heaven has been so erratic by the churches. The cartoons are a disembodied spirit, eating grapes, playing a harp on a cloud. Does that really, like, excite you for, like, can't wait to do that forever? <laughs> so what is heaven like? What will we do? What will it look like? How will it feel? Will we have conversations? Will we visit people? Will people know us? Will we know them? Will our dogs be there? We had to put our little schnauzer down this week. Yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you. It, for my wife and for my son Brent more so. After the death of the last one, I had put up a guard in my heart and said, I can't ever 
do this again. So I made sure that he had everything he needed, but I just wouldn't let my heart go too far. But Chris did. And it was hard. It's just been so hard. Part of uh, the book, though, um, my mom sent it to me and reminded me that there are plenty of scriptures that talk about animals in heaven. So here's the, uh, the religious argument is, well, animals don't have souls. Okay, smart guy. Uh, How do you know? You were there? You breathed life into them? So we're so sure about everything, you don't know. So how about this? Our God is so good, why is it beyond your ability to believe that something that brings you such pleasure, God can't have for you there when you get there? So I agree, they're not human. Jesus didn't die on a cross for animals. Animals weren't part of the original sin. They just paid the price of the original sin. So why is it beyond our ability to believe that God can redeem? My Bible says he's redeeming everything, including the earth. Why is that so difficult for us to believe? So what do you have? What are you willing to put in the Lord's hand? We always think what we don't have, excuse me, what I wish I had, what I'll do when. God's always interested in just what do you have right now? Do you trust me enough? Do you believe me enough? Is your mind (laughs) renewed enough to think that I'm not asking you to figure out how to take care of everything? I'm asking you, what's in your hands? The Lord never starts with what's not in our hands, but what's in our hands. We always look at it and we think it's so little. That's the point. That is the entire point. He's God. You're his. Are you willing just to trust him with what you have? And so many times in life, we'll do this. But the moment we're afraid, the moment we begin to think that the future, if I don't worry about it, God's not going to worry about it. If I don't go like this, then it's all going to get taken away from me. So then we begin to live our lives like this, trying to control and worry. I've got a friend in the church that when he was a a boy, the greatest financial lesson his father ever gave him is he stood him up, the dad reaches in his pocket, grabs some bills, holds his fist as tight as he can, and now tells his son, try to get it out of my hand. And the kid can't pull the money out of his hand. And his dad tells him, that's how you do money for the rest of your life. Don't let anybody get it out of your hand. And some of you sitting here think that's a, that's a great lesson. No, it's a stingy lesson. It's a lesson that says I will take care of myself and who cares what happens to somebody else. We were put here to help others and to be a reflection of a greater reality. How has God been with you? Like this or like this? We're most like our father when we do what our father does. Does that make any sense? You say, I'm a follower of Christ. How? Emotionally? Intellectually? Or is your life a reflection of the fact that you're a follower of Christ? God never is like this with us, or like this with us, or like this with us, but like this with us. How do we do that? And I'm not saying, somebody go, Pastor, you're a preacher, of course say those things and provoke us and push us. But there is a real reality to what happens in the future. I agree. 
I'm headed there too. Here's Jesus' advice about the future. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on this earth where thieves can steal it, where rust and moth can consume it and eat it. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where no one is able to take it. And my Father watches over it and He will reward you. And while there is wisdom in what you do here and now, responsibility, like I said, there is allowing your hands to stay open so that God can do with you and through you what he wants to do in this earth. And so many people pray, God, give it to me, give it to me. You want to know a secret? He'll give it to you if he can get it through you. And that is not cliche. And so we live our lives so much like this, and especially as we get older, we get so fearful Am I talking to anybody in here? It's probably Saturday night people mostly that I'm talking into. I know Sunday's like a graduate class of spiritual maturity. Or you think pastor wants something from us. I do. I want you to hear what I'm saying. I want you to open your heart right now to what the Holy Spirit might want to do inside of you. I live my life this way. You know, the cliche, the funny thing is you never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. Nobody can take it with them, but we act like we can. And the whole purpose of what God gives you, yes, be responsible, yes, take care of things, but there has to be a place where we are like, God, you can use me in this world. I will not go through it being afraid. I will not go through it just concerned about me and mine. What's in your hand? All right, listen to this. In the book Heaven, Alcorn uh, brings up these three awesome, awesome points. He said that God has put uh, one of three, two of three, or three of the three things in your hand uh, to be able to invest, not only for here, but for there. Here, here the three are time, talent, treasure. Three T's time, talent, treasure. We all have some amount of time. Now, it's different for different people. Some people are in a place where their schedule is significant and their commitments are unbelievable. And so their time is far more finite. Some of us are younger. Some of us are older. And then we tend to think this. That's how you measure how much time you have. How many of you realize it has nothing to do with how old you are or how young you are? None of us know how much time we get. So my job is to remind you that all of us, to get out of this life, there's only one way. There's only one way. I guess there's the rapture. I wonder how many people that's their retirement plan, the rapture. It's a wonderful thing to think about. But you know you got to plan like it's not in your lifetime, but live like it's this afternoon. And that's not cliche. That's truth right there. So the idea here that we all have some amount of time that we can invest. For some it's more, for some it's less. I agree with that statement. Some of us are paid that our time can be directed more towards spiritual things. But regardless of what you do for a living, if you're a Christ follower, 
Part of your time belongs to Jesus. What are you doing with your time? So the thing I hear all the time is, I'm so busy, I have no time. Wheel of Fortune takes up so much time. I know, that's bad, huh? It's Jeopardy, it's not Wheel of Fortune. It's... Talent, same thing on talent. Some of us have been given gobs of talent. It's just like, you know, the Oakley, there's more talent in their little finger. Watch CU play last night. Shadur has a lot of talent. Well, he is a gifted athlete, a, a very gifted athlete that has so much talent. But all of us have been given a level of talent. Do you agree with that? You know, I think a strategy of the enemy is to convince you you have no talent. And if you have no talent, then you're not responsible to have to do anything if you don't have any talent. But everybody in this room has talent for something. And part of that belongs to Jesus too. You don't just have talent so that you make money or talent so that you can play a hobby or a sport or talent just to stand up and to teach. All of it. God has given all of us a measure of talent. What you do with part of that belongs to Jesus. What are you doing with your talent? Listen to me right now. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings or talk down or push or be ugly or mean. So I'm just, I'm being direct with you and it's important. To stand before the Lord and to say nobody ever told me, that is a tragedy. But to stand before the Lord and to have known and not to have done anything about it. The talent to pray, the talent to encourage. The talent to just be involved. The talent to care. Uh, and then the last one was treasure. And again, I, I agree. Some of us have more treasure than others. Some of it's privilege. Some of it's hard work. Some of it's the right place at the right time. Do you agree? I mean, we all have an amount of treasure that God has given to us. And it varies with who you are, what you do. Education can have a part of that. I get it. But then we go, if I just had this education, then I could. No. If God is for you, nothing can be against you. So we all have a certain level of treasure. What are you doing with your treasure? It's amazing. God is like the 90% do whatever you feel in your heart. Be responsible. It's the 10. I knew there was an angle, Pastor. There's no angle. I'm not taking an offering. Just hear my heart on this. So what are you doing? What, what you have in your hands? Larry, my friend, I embarrassed him a little bit last night by not telling him what I was going to say. I want to leave time for you to get uh, in the foyer. So let me tell the story real fast, and I'll wind this up. Larry, when we were, uh, we've been friends for well over 30 years. Uh, we went to the same church together in northern Colorado. I was a youth pastor. Larry was a parishioner. Larry was an entrepreneur. He owned some restaurants. He owned some bed and breakfast. He had this beautiful one down in Creed, Colorado. 
Uh, Larry was a ski instructor at one point in his life. Uh, he's just been successful at whatever he did. He owned a bed and breakfast up in Alaska on the Kenai Peninsula, sat right on a cliff overlooking the Pacific Ocean. And Larry was a person who had a lifestyle that many of us would not recognize but envy. He spent a lot of his winters in Hawaii and his summers back here working his businesses. And he always used his resource for the kingdom. I was personally involved and aware of what he did with his resource. He got it. And the Lord had blessed him just tremendously. But then a dirty trick happened to Larry. We had a chance to go on a mission trip to Romania back in, I think it was 1994. And communism had only fell a couple of years prior to that in Romania. And communism, look at me real quick. Communism, anybody considering that that is an alternative for America does not understand what a wicked scheme communism is. You do not understand what it does to people, people groups, and to a nation. I witnessed it firsthand. I saw the demoralization of the people in Romania, what it had done to the country, the poverty that was there, not just of finances, but of spirit. They were so hungry. And they were so wonderful. We brought a bunch of Bibles uh, in Romanian. Here, how many Bibles do you have on your phone? If you're older, how many do you have at your house? If you're in between, how many do you have on your phone and at your house? We bring a case of Bibles, cases, but we opened up a case in a park where we were doing some ministry. Um, and we didn't realize the level of hunger that was there. And people started diving over the table to grab a copy. And it starts fistfights. Literal fistfights are going on to take a Bible away from somebody. So let's go to Boulder this afternoon. <laughs> Open a case of Bibles. There'll be a fistfight. But it won't be the way that I'm describing it right now, right? So... I mean, it is just, we're experiencing something that I don't think any of us were prepared for what it was like and the hunger that was there and just what God was doing. And so we're giving away these Bibles and all of us are wearing Nikes because we can. We have them. It was nothing to even be thought about. They had only heard about them. You could have seen the clothes they were wearing. It was almost embarrassing what we were wearing. And it was a youth group. Larry had gone over to help as a leader. And uh, Larry had this brand new pair of Nike high tops. And we're playing basketball. Uh, and just like American international teams, I think we killed them. Uh, <laughs> just my own little thing. Come on. <laughs> and this kid kept talking about Larry's shoes. And I watched Larry at the end of the game sit down, take his shoes off, and give them to the kid. This is the first time I realized... God's doing something special with this guy. So we start the church a few years later, and Larry comes. Uh, he would just volunteer and drive down from uh, Fort Collins, Loveland area. He would answer the phone for us. He helped pay for some advertising one time that we needed. He just did things to try to be a blessing. But as time is wont to do, our lives went this way with busyness, and Larry's went this way with busyness. And he had gone to the Alaska was the last that I heard. And we were here and we just drifted apart. Years have a way of doing that if you're not intentional. You know, it just, and we're friends, but 
And so I end up in Peru on a completely different missions thing. And I don't know, I'm, I'm not even thinking about Larry. It's been years since I've seen Larry. Maybe eight to ten years has gone by and I've not talked to him or know anything about him. And I have this really weird, not great experience in Peru. And we have an interpreter named Patricia uh, who's been with us and we've been in different cities. And we're now at the airport getting ready to get on a plane to come back to Denver. And out of the blue, she just says, um, do you know a guy named Larry Good? I mean, there's 300 million people in America. And at the time, six billion around the planet? And she goes, do you know a guy? She knew we were from Denver. Do you know a guy named Larry Good? He's originally from Denver. And I said, I, I do know a Larry Good, but it, you know. She said, well, this guy lives in Alaska now. Hmm. So she said, he happens to be here. I'm going to call him right now. So she dials him up, hands the phone. The minute I hear him speak, it's my Larry Good. Larry, what are you doing in Peru? John, what are you doing in <laughs> Peru? Larry, I'm at the airport. We're getting ready to go home. So when's your flight? It's two or three hours from now? He said, we're close. I'm going to come by. So he comes to the airport with Pocho, who was a little guy at that time. And we just catch up on what God is doing. And, and so the dirty trick was that Larry was super successful and being faithful to the Lord. But he goes on a mission trip, and the Lord begins to speak to him about the throwaway kids in Peru. And when I say that, because you don't have the context, you don't understand. Because you would think that a, a kid here that's unprivileged is what pastor's talking about. <laughs> so even what we say is unprivileged here is so much more than in most of the rest of the world. I ministered to children in Peru that Larry took me to, James, you were with me, eight years old, living on the street, and the way they're taking care of each other is that the kids themselves are trying to watch out for each other. We played soccer with them. Most of them were high, high, high. They just, they sniff glue and paint. They like the metallic gold and silver. So there's just a ring, eight years old. It's just the way to numb themselves. Larry would always buy him something to eat because they were always hungry. Sleep on the streets. There's no social program that's going to pick them up and rescue them. That's what the dirty trick was. That the Lord took him there and showed him, and it wasn't enough to give away a pair of shoes. He sold his businesses and went to Peru. He's given away all that he has. And if I'd have asked him permission to share the story, he would say, no, you can't share that part. And that's why I didn't ask. <laughs> because the power of it is this is not something that he did so that people would brag about him. His life is not this comfortable life. His life is not this, he's an all-star where people are clapping. But when we cross the goal line, how I many little children will say thank you? So good for him, no good for you. Because when you give and when you pray and when you go, you also were here. Well done, you good and faithful servant. You will hear the cheers and you will be known and you will know. You will know 
what you did. What is the point of storing up treasures for yourselves in heaven if you won't realize what you did once you get there? Of course you will know. Of course you will rejoice. Of course you will. Am I making you uncomfortable right now? Please. This is the reason. The blessed, broken, and given pattern with Jesus. I'm sorry. I'll just give you the scriptures. Mark 14, 22. Mark 8, 6. Mark 6, 4 are three examples. The Last Supper, Passover. The feeding of the 4,000 and the feeding of the 5,000 are just three examples that every time Jesus gets bread in his hand, he does one of three things. He blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it. Sorry, not one of three things, all three things. Blesses, breaks, and gives. It is true and accurate as far as the story, but it's also, it's a metaphor for our lives. Eric, I don't know where you are right now, but you're in one of three places. You're either under the right hand of the Lord being so incredibly blessed right now. And we wonder, it's easy to think, I made the right decisions. I was smart. I went here. I did that. It all exists because God, all blessings come from God. That's what the book of James says. All blessings come from God. And we can be so quick to think, I did this. God did this. Or you're in a position right now where you're being broken. Those he loves, listen to me. He disciplines. If you're bearing fruit, he'll prune you so that you get more fruit. Yay. So if we do the prayer line for that one, how many of you are wanting more pruning in your life? You're brave. You're brave to say yes to that. The outcome of pruning is more fruit. We love the blessing of more fruit. What we really want is, God, give me more fruit. But please don't prune me to get the more fruit. Let me just open my trunk and find money. <laughs> Yay. So we treat God like he's some kind of a, like a, a fairy godfather. Just point me with the blessing. That's all I want. That doesn't, does it ever work like that for you? No. It never works like that. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to. Blessed, broken, and given. It's a metaphor for our life. Ecclesiastes 3 says there's a time for everything. There's a time to be blessed. And there is a time to be broken. And there is a time to be given. And then there's a time to be blessed. And a time to be broken and a time to be giving. And as you mature along your path with Jesus, you will go through that many different times. You will never outgrow it. You will never outpace it. And the more you want God to do things with you and that you want to experience and the more you want things to change, then the more these things will happen in your life. And it's not a curse, a rejection. The Lord being mean or cruel to you, never assign judgment at the feet of the Lord. He is only good. He can only do good. Whatever he's doing in your life has good purposes to it. Remind yourself of that every day. The given, let me just, I'll read them to you real quick. And then I'm done. Honestly, I'm sorry. I just. These things, 
we want to see happen in 24. Some of them are happening now. They'll be completed in 2024, and we want to be a part of them. Larry and his team, his board, represented by James and Kareen Ruder and other people in our church and outside of our church, they're building a medical facility right now next to the feeding facility because they want to give away medical help to people who don't have some type of a social network to help them with things like that. Freely you've received. Freely give. A playground for children in the middle of the slums. I think you remember seeing some of the pictures of that. And a dormitory for the volunteers who otherwise are staying in hotels when they have to go down there. They have more trips lined up this year. And I am so pleased for Larry and so happy that God has taken them to a whole new level. 10,000 Bibles for new believers a training and equipping center for 200 pastors in 2024, help with feeding refugee children, caring for people with HIV and AIDS. That's in a ministry in Africa that we support. A support conference for persecuted pastors who are working in difficult and closed locations, countries. Laos is one of those places. I can't even tell you the names of those places because to divulge it puts them at risk of their lives. No big deal in America. Help to finish a YWAN campus that trains and sends hundreds of people from different countries, especially the Caribbean island of the Dominican Republic. If you know geography, the Dominican is the same island that Haiti is on. Haiti is in terrible trouble right now. Help build a pastor's training center to reach the unreached and a widow's home and a medical clinic in India. If you knew what was happening in India through Pastor Sabi and Rebecca and Jubilee this morning, you would be so excited. Indigenous Training Center in the Middle East, trauma care for women. Uh, how about this one? Empowering women in Afghanistan. Are you aware enough to know what's going on in Afghanistan this morning? We deserted them and turned them back over to the Taliban. And now the Taliban is taking everything away from the people, but especially from women in particular. And we have a ministry in there Working in there. How do we bless them? How do we help them? How do we support them? A Bible translation project uh, to go along with that. Continued support, support for our local partners who help the homeless, people with addiction, single moms with children. Uh, they work also with um, people who are being trafficked. I get asked that question so much. Pastor, are we doing anything about that? We can't do everything, but we can concentrate on this one right here in our city. Different it's a hub, believe it or not. Interstate hub for trafficking, for drugs, for things like that. It ends up a lot of it in Denver. It comes here and then it goes out from here. Does that make sense? So we got a ministry right in the middle of that. Support local partners, alternative pregnancy center in particular that save hundreds of children from abortions every year. Yay! Yeah. Yay, pastor. Yay! We support a couple of individual missionaries who travel around the world preaching and teaching and training others to share the gospel. They're literally evangelists. One of those is Dan Bauman. We have 18 missionary partners that we support monthly in their endeavors, and now we're trying to add on to what that could look like. We want to raise $200,000. And the first thing you'll think is, oh, that's a lot of money. Wish I could help. What's in your hand? I didn't ask you for $200,000. 
I'm asking God for $200,000. But who's willing to partner with that and say, Pastor, here's what's in my hand. You can have some of my time. You can have some of my talent. And you certainly know the easiest thing to give is part of your treasure. Time requires a commitment. Talent, that can be a tough one. The treasure, that's usually the easiest one, and that's the one we make the biggest deal about. Pastor, I just don't have it. What do you have? I didn't ask you what you don't have. What do you have? Oh, man, he's appealing to my heart. I wish he'd stop. Yes. Yes. I'll get your brain if I can get your heart. I'll get your money if I can get your heart. Is that just too bold? I don't want you to go home and just go, I am, I'm so happy with what our church is doing. You're the church. You are the church. Own this with me. Hold this with me. Inspire this for the world to see. We reflect the reality of a different reality. What an ugly place it is when I look around sometimes. And in the middle of that, God is doing such a beautiful work. Ah, it's what makes it that much brighter and that much more beautiful. I have no time to address Israel, sorry. Oh, you want me to? Okay. <laughs> Master of psychology, Larry, learn this right here. <laughs> okay, what's going on? Uh, real quickly. Um, if you have the Wall Street Journal yesterday, there was an article, I believe it was front page, that talked about Saudi Arabia ready to sign a peace agreement with Israel, and they were going to pump more oil on behalf of the U.S. to lower gas prices because the Biden administration has been asking them for that, and Saudi's had a personal acts to grind with the Biden administration. So they've actually, they keep cutting back and cutting back and cutting back. They started this actually during the election last time. And now it's come to the point where they're ready to sign a peace agreement with Israel. And this is happening in other Arab nations around the Middle East. And it's working outside of the Palestinians being a blockade to keep that from happening. And so this peace agreement was supposed to be signed uh, this week. And if Saudi signed it, it's a major thing for the Middle East. And Iran does not want that at all costs. All costs. So Pastor Iran, Iran is behind all that you see on the nefarious side of what's going on. And we gave them $6 billion two weeks ago to be used only for humanitarian purposes. What have they done with the money that's come through there? They fund terrorism. In particular, one of the biggest ones is Hezbollah, which is on the border the northern border of Israel with Lebanon. Hezbollah this morning was firing rockets into Israel. So the thought is, were they distracted in the south in order to open up a northern front? And this ring of fire around them has been known for a long period of time. It's nothing new. In our lifetime since 73, it's the biggest action in the Middle East that we've ever seen. Some of us weren't alive 50 years ago, so we're not aware of it. So it may be the biggest in your lifetime, but it will be the second biggest for most of us, for many of us. Uh, as of this morning, 
2,000 Israelis killed. Many, many more wounded, hostages held. American and Israeli hostages are held inside of the Gaza now. And you know, the question may be a bigger one. This is a conspiracy theory. Israel is so good with their intelligence, and so is the U.S. This was a highly planned operation that took months. Coordinated. The only way it could have been pulled off is for a state organization to get behind it. It's Iran who's behind it. But how did it fly under the radar of U.S. intelligence on that level and then Israeli? I would even say Israeli intelligence might be a step ahead of the U.S. because of what they deal with on a day-to-day basis. I've been there multiple times. Their fences have sensors. There's cameras every place. How did this happen might be a bigger question to ask. I don't know the answer to that. Nor am I trying to cause trouble in your mind about it. But there's just more than what we know and may ever know precisely about this. But this is, folks, this is a big thing in the Middle East right now. This is a big thing. We read about it all the time and we're so comfortable reading in the paper, putting down, not thinking about it. It's going to affect a lot of things in our life, including the cost of gas, to be quite honest with you. So why right now? And some people think because it's a shadow of what happened 50 years ago, the Yom Kippur War, and now it's a chance to get even for that. I would say to you, I think it's because a peace agreement was about to be signed between Israel and Saudi, and now Saudi is going to be forced to have to side with Arab people groups and will not be able to sign a peace agreement because Israel's response will be harsh. It will be harsh. All right, my advice then is, A, pray for the peace of Jerusalem right now. Who is the peace of Jerusalem? Not what is. Who is the peace of Jerusalem? He's the prince of peace. Jesus is the peace of Jerusalem. The ultimate answer to this is that the king of kings needs to sit on the throne. It's the ultimate answer for this. Be praying. Pray for peace. I talked to our guide, Reuben. Both of his sons are in the IDF and will be sent in to handle this. You imagine... He's just like, he asked, he said, your prayers would be much appreciated right now. I told him I would share it with the church. As the response happens, what you'll hear in the news is, <laughs> they're cursed if they do and they're cursed if they don't. They're cursed, they get attacked, and now they're going to respond and they're going to be cursed for defending themselves. What would you do or what would you want if your family was being attacked? Would you try to defend yourself? So they're going to defend themselves. Don't let what you see on the news or in the newspaper dissuade you or convince you or pull you away from what truth is. And I realize it is a multifaceted issue. The losers in this will be the majority of the Palestinian people who didn't make this decision. Hamas that runs their day-to-day government is the military wing where Iran is funding them and helping with this and helping to pull this off, but the majority of Palestinian people are going to run for their lives now. And Israel is the only nation on the face of the earth where they'll send a text first. We're going to hit this area. You better get out of there because they're worried about the court of public opinion. And yet now, hostages, children... Women, not soldiers, although soldiers were taken too. But men, women, and children are now being held hostage 
so that Israel can't retaliate in it. And much of the world will go, well, they deserve it. Uh, come on. Stand strong. Pray right. And of course, pray for Palestinians. Pray for Israelis. But also recognize what's going on in this. There is a military part of this that wants to destroy from the face of the earth Israel. We cannot be okay with that right there. We cannot. We can't be silent about it. So, it's big. It will probably last uh, for a while. Chris and I, we always make the statement, I think people think we're trying to sell something when it comes to our trip. We always say we don't know when the last trip will be. We don't know. Someday the door will close, and we don't know. I hope this isn't a closed door, but certainly you could see in the immediate future how would you feel if you were leaving tomorrow? You wouldn't go, would you? I, I wouldn't take you. So what will happen? What will happen to the economy? What will happen to... I mean, there's so many things up for grabs in the situation right there. Just be praying. Pray, 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 pray. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Amen? All right, so let me finish with prayer and then... Lord, we love you. And... Um, Father, as we talk about these things, I know it's overwhelming. I know we live in a day, Father God, where it's, it's perilous times, stressful times, crazy times. The Bible actually predicts it, 2 Timothy chapter 3. In the last days, perilous, stressful times will come. And we look around right now, Lord, and nothing seems solid. What can be shaken seems every day to be shaken. Things that were supposed to be once in a lifetime seem like they happen once a week now. And in the middle of that, Father, you call us to reflect another reality. The kingdom of God is light. And the darkness can't shut it down. It can't rule over it. It can't push it back. Darkness only exists because light is not in that place. Where your light shines, the darkness, Father God, is no more. Father, we shine the light. We are the light. Literally, Jesus called us light and seasoning. Father, we remind ourselves not to be full of fear and doubt and unbelief, not to shake and tremble like people who don't know what is going on, but Lord, to be sure, not of ourselves, but of who our God is and what our God is doing today. And you are faithful. Will not permit your people to be tempted to go through things above what they're able, but will make with that temptation a way to escape. What's the escape, Lord? Will it be the rapture? Will it just be an ability in the middle of all of it to be okay? I know you'll watch over us. I know you'll keep us. The word says he holds us in his hand. No one can snatch us from his hand. Do not be afraid, church. Do not be fearful. Be courageous. Put your hope in the Lord. Put your trust in the Lord. I pray over you peace. I pray over Israel today, peace. I pray over our world today, peace. The Prince of Peace. Come back. 
rule and reign. We look forward to your coming, Father. And in the meantime, Lord, we will shine the light. And we pray your blessing today in Jesus' name. Amen.